Hello and welcome to the Addicts Anonymous podcast. I'm your host, Jamar. Today's episode 204, and we're going to be interviewing Leanne. How are you doing today, Leanne? I'm doing very well, thank you, yourself. I'm doing well. I'm excited to do this. How about you? Excited and, yeah, nervous, but good nervous. All right, it's good to be nervous. Get some, uh, what do you call it, blood pumping through the veins, right? Adrenaline, yeah, it certainly is. <laughs> So let's start off, like I told you before, like we start off every other episode. Tell me about your childhood and growing up. Okay, my childhood. Um, I grew up on a, a very rough council estate just outside London. Um, my dad was ex-military um, and living near barracks, met my mum. He was very strict and sort of ruled our house with an iron rod. So I'll be quite honest, as for memories of my childhood, they're very few. I think that mentally I may have blocked a lot out, but a lot of the things I remember are just the bad things. So I always remember being very scared. Um of my father um my mum said that i was constantly seeking reassurance from her you know mum do you love me mum how much do you love me she said if you ask me once you ask me a hundred times a day i was also very insecure and very anxious i always remember you know i would never even go to the local shop on my own um things, <laughs> things changed in the future but you know, throughout my childhood, that's that's how it was for me. Um, I had a younger brother. I still have a younger brother. Sorry, his name's Kevin, and we had a, we were really really close, really pretty close to my mum as well. Um, my dad was quite an aggressive man. He was a big drinker um, from Scotland, and um, sort of I thought that our household was normal. I thought every household was like ours. I thought everyone got their ass whipped by their dad. Everyone's mum got their ass whipped by their dad. Um, uh, it wasn't until obviously I started to grow a little bit older that I realised that that wasn't the case. But um, I had points where I physically wet myself on occasions because I was that fearful of my dad and what he would do. So um, today I have a very, very different relationship with my dad. I have a fantastic relationship with him today, which is amazing. But um, yeah, growing up, it wasn't very pleasant. So, yeah. Did you have a lot of friends in school? Yeah, I did actually. Um, I went to... Um, primary school and middle school as they called it here um and it's a catholic school so it was run by nuns <laughs> and geez them people excuse my language but they're evil bastards <laughs> a lot of them tell me the nuns used to whack her while she said oh yeah yeah me too i mean i'm 47 and i think it was um a year after I started school that it was brought in here that teachers weren't allowed to hit the kids anymore 
but boy, did she make up for it in that year beforehand. But yeah, um, I just didn't sort of, I was made to go to church every week and, you know, go to confession. And at that young age, I didn't really see what I'd done wrong. I actually used to make things up. Um, and, and then you get your penance by the, the, the you know, the priest. And oh, looking back now, I'll be honest, I just think it's very cult-like, but that's just my opinion. Yeah. But, yeah, I had loads of friends. Um, I never just... I'd, I had a few close friends as I got older, um, but when I was younger, I was just friends with everyone. Um I was, again, still very um, self-conscious, um, uh, not, not much self-confidence, and I sort of, uh, I became quite gobby to hide that. Um, I also went to secondary school, which was um, full of a lot of uh, travellers and... Um, they stick together and they fight together and uh luckily they're like me so uh yeah i remember there being a lot of violence as well um on my part i did do taekwondo for 10 years <clears throat> i trained four times a week my dad was very 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 strict with that as well maybe i should have used some on him but there you go <laughs> Um, but yeah, in secondary school, I guess you could say I was with the the in crowd, but I was different in the way I didn't feel like them. I didn't feel like anybody. I just felt not right, odd, um, out of place, wrong, um, awkward. I just don't recall ever really feeling uncomfortable with anything. Um, and, yeah, so from an early age, um, depression was noticed, well, from an early age, I say an early age, it was uh, 14, I was diagnosed with depression and put on antidepressants. Um, I'm 47 now, and uh, I don't know what, it's like to be without them because I've never been without them. They've changed a lot over the years. Um, I do suffer a lot with my mental health as a result of a traumatic childhood, I think, a lot of it. And um, as a result of a lot of things that happened in my addiction. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I'm dealing with that as well um, as my recovery um, and I think sort of for me, it all comes intertwined into one. I mean, you look up any mental illness and you can guarantee one of the symptoms for it is addiction. Yeah. Uh, I believe that they go hand in hand a lot of the time. Um, I didn't realise that until, I mean... I first went into the rooms of various fellowships in 2011 when I first went into my first rehab. Basically, um, 
I was a career girl. I left school. I done well at school. I had a really good career in sales. I used to work for DeWalt Power Tools. Don't know whether you know. And um, yeah, I had a nice life. I had a, an amazing fiance. And um, yeah, out of the blue, he was killed in a motorbike accident. Um, before that, I didn't even drink. Not because not because um of, of any reason just for the simple fact i didn't i didn't like it weed was my thing i was a weed smoker um i dabbled with acid um <clears throat> excuse me uh, and uh sort of you know the all the festival sort of drugs <clears throat> um until i met um my fiance and yeah the only thing I carried on doing, which he did really hate, was um, was smoking the weed. But um, he used to drink, and I didn't like that. But how old were you when you met him? <clears throat> I was nineteen, and I met him at work. And uh, to say weird, they say opposites attract. You couldn't have got more opposite. I mean, I was a rough sort of council estate girl. <laughs> And uh, he was um, from a very wealthy family, well-to-do. Not that I knew that at the time. Um, spoke, I know he spoke very well. And he'd, <clears throat> excuse me, he'd been to private school. And yeah, we were real opposites. You couldn't have put two people more opposite together, but we worked. We worked, you know, yeah, we had our ups and downs and we had our, you know, normal relationship arguments. But, um, yeah, I, I do actually remember that's the only time in my life I've been happy um, was was the years that I spent with him. And I just, I just thank God that I had those years with him, you know. But when he died, that's when my addiction took hold. Definitely. How old were you when he died? Um, I was 27. Um, and I had a phone call. And I thought that, I don't know what, it was the middle of the night, so I thought everyone had got it wrong because we had lost his twin brother four years before that in a motorbike accident in exactly the same town, in exactly the same country, Thailand, um, four years before. So when I had them on the end of the phone saying, you know, we need you to come and identify, uh, I was like, no, no, you know, you've got the wrong person. <laughs> you've got the wrong twin, he's already gone. That's four years ago, you know. Um, yeah, so that was really hard. Um, and at that point, I didn't drink or, or take any drugs apart from smoking weed. But um, I started to drink. And I, it started off on just the odd one here and there, to be honest. Um didn't really like the taste of it. I was one of these people who couldn't really hold their drink and uh, 
you know, that, that odd one would just tip me over and I'd end up hanging over the loo for the rest of the evening, spoiling somebody's night, you know, with somebody holding my hair, proper classy chick. So, yeah, I just left it alone and, and, and stuck with my weed. I did smoke like a rasta, and that's not something I'm proud of because I do believe that that had a, a detrimental effect on my mental health without a, without a doubt. And it's not until, obviously, I've got clean and sober that I've realised just what an effect it had on it. But we live and learn, and that's the consequences of our using, isn't it? So... Yeah, um, you'll have to excuse me as well. My memory is terrible. I've totally forgotten where I am. Oh, no, you're doing great. Um, so, so, yeah, Etienne's died. And um, I'm living in a nice town. Um but it was a coke fueled place because they were all they were all city workers and things like that. So it was a massive cocaine. Um, it, it, that's just what they done. And yeah, I remember doing it the first time. Um, I was really quite drunk. And everyone was like, oh, you know, you've got, well, you've got the rest of the night to go, you know. And I remember this guy just saying, look, just do that. And I didn't even know what I was doing, to be honest. I was quite naive, believe it or not, because um, it had just never been my thing. Um, God, if somebody had said to me then that I would have been a major addict, I would never, ever have believed them. Never. Um, however, as they say, it doesn't discriminate. It certainly doesn't. Um, yeah. Um, but it soon got out of control. Um, I sort of rebounded with a childhood sweetheart, if you like. I didn't think I could actually have children. Um had a condition called endometriosis and without IVF there wasn't much chance but I enjoyed my career so I wasn't really that bothered to be quite honest I just thought well if it happens it happens if it doesn't it doesn't um and it couldn't have happened at a worse time I was still grieving Fratien um and <clears throat> well oh god I was in such a dark dark fucking place you know, if there was ever a description of hell, then I've been there quite a few times. But, um, that, yeah, that's how I masked it. That's how I, it, it, you know, drink and, and, and the partying. Um, because um, with my mental health, I, I, I'll be honest, I didn't think I would cope with my daughter. And I was right. Um but oh, she's amazing and I love my daughter so much. She's been an absolute pillar of strength throughout my uh, addiction and my recovery. She's 18 years old now, but I tell you, she's um, she, she's just been an amazing support and more understanding than most other people in my life. 
and she's been understanding from such a young age as well it's it's you know but um yeah i just ended up getting myself into such a state um I, I just spiralled out of control, Etienne had died and my daughter had gone to live with her dad because I was incapable of looking after her. Um, I didn't want to go out, I didn't want to open the curtains, I was very, very depressed and that's when I was first hospitalised with mental health issues. What were the issues that they hospitalised you with? Did they have a diagnosis? Uh, yeah, it took them quite a while to diagnose me. I mean, I was diagnosed with anxiety and depression anyway. Um, they diagnosed me with bipolar and put me on anti-manic drugs. Um, one of them being a, a drug called haloperidol. I'm not sure whether you've heard of it. I know that no. in the States and in England, a lot of time we sort of use different medications. Depends what... Uh, what pharmaceutical companies promoting what at the time as to what the doctors give you, you know. Mm. Um, but yeah, <laughs> they misdiagnosed me with bipolar. And I knew I knew I wasn't bipolar. Haloperidol was a drug that it suppressed me. I didn't even have a thought capacity. As you can tell, I talk a lot. <laughs> and I actually stopped talking for about six months simply because I, I had nothing to say. My brain was just numbed and it was dead. I was shuffling. This was as a result of the side effects of this of this drug. Um, shuffling and, and dribbling and my head would judder, my jaws would clench and hurt and it was horrific. Um, and I just took it upon myself to, to come off them because whatever medication I was on anyway, eventually um, wasn't working because I was off my head on coke and pissed most of the time. Um, anyway, I was diagnosed then with borderline personality disorder um severe anxiety disorder depression um more recently body dysmorphia uh i was diagnosed with a social phobia um which has progressed into agoraphobia and um what was that last one agoraphobia agoraphobia yeah agoraphobia. i, I yeah, people think that agoraphobia is just like not being able to leave the house. It's it's not quite like that. It's like a a fear of people, um, a fear of not being able to escape if you need to. If anything happens, uh, you know, you feel trapped. Um, uh, and yeah, it, it often does lead to uh, you not wanting to leave home, which is why the lockdown was a blessing for me because I didn't have to make an excuse up then as to why I couldn't go out. You know, I, I didn't need to. Um, I could isolate and it was okay. It was okay. It was good for me. Yeah, you isolate. 
because I'm a high risk. I've got a lot of um, physical issues as a result of my addictions as well because, uh, yeah, I've, I've got chronic pancreatitis, got a mass on the head of my pancreas, gastritis where my stomach lining is just stripped um, and uh, quite a lot of nerve damage as well in my legs, hands, feet from alcohol. Um, got COPD, which uh, they nicknamed crack lung over here. Um, that's what I ended up on when I blew a hole in my nose through doing a hell of a lot of coke a day. A friend, her parent, her mother died and she was left a hundred grand and basically we both blew it in six months up our noses. What was your main, what was your primary uh, drug of choice? Then, for your whole career of using, what was your what was the thing you went back to the most? Weed. Weed. Yeah, that's the thing I went back to most. Did it really negatively? I, did it negatively affect you a lot? Yeah, definitely. What, what kind of things would it do to you? It makes me more paranoid. It makes me uh, more anxious. Um, I ended up with drug-induced psychosis. Can't be sort of 100% sure which drug induced that, to be honest. It wouldn't surprise me if that was the coke and, and the crack. But um, when it progressed onto the crack, then I just hit a whole new level of fucking shit, man. Um, a world that I never knew anything about, but I was soon to find out. And I found out the hard way. Um, I remember the first time I tried it. I thought I had died and gone to heaven. I thought I had come home. This is what I was waiting for, this feeling. But what they say is true, is you will always chase that feeling. Uh, now, when I realised that I was an addict, um, I had already done a lot of damage uh, and put myself into extremely dangerous situations. Um, Um, I was raped on more than one occasion, but had I not been off my face on crack and pissed, those things would never have happened because I wouldn't have put my, I wouldn't have been there. I wouldn't have been in those situations. Um, so yeah, I remember just hitting my rock bottom very very quickly um crack brought me to my knees um the things oh, i've got to remember this guy where this goes out take your time but you know what it's about honesty Recovery is about honesty, and I 
in order for my recovery to work, I had to stop holding facts back for the sake of wondering what other people would think of me. Um, to fund my crack habit, I had a crack dealer boyfriend. Um, I was also a very good thief. I would um, go down to this, ma this massive store we have over here called B&Q. It's like a DIY store. And I would just nick to order me generators, drills. You used to get a lot of money for that sort of shit. Um, Snip all your perfume draft shaves, things like that. <clears throat> to fund my habit. Um, I knew a lot of strength girls. Um, and you know what? I, I, I never held anything against them because they were just doing what they needed to do to, to get by. And thank God... I was very close to coming to their place, but thank God I didn't. Um, but I did have a dealer boyfriend, so, you know, obviously, when he thought I'd had enough, I'd get called a, what's the matter with you, you're nothing but a crack whore. And I'd just be like, yeah, yeah, I am. Yeah, I am. Please give me more, please. That's, that's how I got, it's just, you know, I look back and I just think, I just totally fucking lost my whole, my whole being, I was a shell of a person, I was, I was smashed to bits, mentally, emotionally, oh god. I tried to take my own life on more than one occasion. Uh, when the psychosis really set in, I set up CCTV on my house. I'd sit up all freaking night watching the screen, the TV screen like this, waiting for... I don't know what the fuck I was waiting for, but I was convinced somebody was coming to shoot me in the back of the head. That's what I was convinced. Anything you um, put you into a psychosis? Oh, hell yeah. Yeah. Without a doubt. Um, I'll be up for days. Um, delusional, crazy, angry, like irrational, like just screaming at my boyfriend to give me more, screaming getting on my hands and knees and fucking begging like a, like what he used to call me. And I looked at my life and I was just like, how the hell has all this happened? How the hell have I gone from being a normal person who smoked a bit of weed, had a good job, had a good life, had a good, how did all this fucking go wrong? Um, I could definitely pinpoint a time. The only sort of similarities I can I can uh, sort of make of it is, um, you know, borderline personality stems from a traumatic childhood, and and uh, 
it obviously got to a point where I couldn't cope with any more trauma. And so, I mean, now I have, I don't know whether you can hear that, I have a hole in my septum here. Um, luckily, it's quite high, so it's, it's not really visible. Um, but I damn got quite bad sinus damage. Um, and it's embarrassing because, uh, you know, I mean, I've been clean for, so since 2011, I've been clean off crack, coke, um, weed, whatever else I used to take. Um, but I've only been sober for three years and two months. Um, because, <laughs> oh God, like a typical, like, newbie into recovery, I thought that drugs were my problem. I didn't think alcohol was my problem. So you just switched um, over. Yeah, I mean, I was in treatment. I had people laughing at me, going, oh, Jesus, you know, we've got one of these. We've got one of these who, who, who don't think that <laughs> it includes everything. And they're right. I didn't think it included everything. So at the end of treatment, off I popped out. I went, you know, on my jolly way. And what did I do? Picked up straight away. Straight away. After 12 weeks. Straight away. But yeah, that's uh, when I done my detox off the crack and off um, the benzos. I used to use benzos instead of the brand to bring me down. And I had a massive habit with that. Um, they wanted to um, reduce me. I would probably do a whole pack of 28, 10 milligram diazepams a day. Um, and, uh, yeah, not, not think about it, really. And to be honest, not even noticing whether or not it had really touched me. I was just trying to take that edge off, that paranoia, that knot I always used to get here when I used to do it. The paranoia that somebody's coming to get me. I mean, it was just unreal. It was madness of things. I mean, even like if I got up to go to the bathroom, I would tiptoe because I'd think that people were listening. It sends your mind crazy, you know? And... Uh, Send you to do dark, send you down dark alleys, dark places, you know, dark, a life I would never ever want to go back to. Um, that's why I never returned to my hometown because that was my stomping ground. And I know too many people, if I was to ever go back there, um. I don't know, because it's just for today. So I won't put myself in that situation. And I learned to not put myself in these situations the hard way because I relapsed on complacency so many times with the alcohol, so many times. And um, I relapsed emotionally as well. And I was in and out of different fellowships, uh, different programs, never really working at all to the best of my ability because of my mental health. 
and I'm on a hell of a lot of medication, I'm on a hell of a lot <clears throat> for pain, I'm on pre-gabbling and I'm on oxys for my pain. And I was told in meetings that I wasn't clean. Every medication I'm on, I take as prescribed. In fact, with the oxys and that, I take less than prescribed because I take it when I have to. Um, and I do suffer withdrawals frequently from doing it that way. But um, I am very aware that although um, opiates weren't my thing, that it wasn't the thing, it was me, you know? It was me. So let me ask you this. At what point did you realize you needed to get sober and stay sober? Um, three years ago, yeah, basically waking up in hospital, um, being told that I was going to face major surgery within a couple of weeks, um, called a Whipple's procedure because of how badly damaged my pancreas was. Because I, by the end of it, I was drinking absolute shit. You know, I was drinking white cider, which you know um, the doctor said she wouldn't clean her toilet with. So she said it just totally strips my insides. Um, but then COVID hit, and I didn't have the operation, so I am left with a lot of pain to deal with that I manage as best I can. So, yeah, on the 24th of October 2019, after six rehabs, after working the steps with many programs, uh, I found um, myself organising a Facebook group for people with mental health issues who were in recovery. Because, like, with my agoraphobia, I couldn't go to face-to-face -face meetings or anything like that. I totally lost my faith in the 12-step fellowships. To be honest, I thought they were a load of shit. Um, yeah, my thinking, my thinking became very unhealthy, but I was searching for other ways to stay well. Creating this Facebook group, helping others, that was one of my ways of, of keeping myself well until I found a fellowship that was made just for me. Um, and it's uh, Dual Diagnosis Anonymous, DDA. Um, and they have saved my life. Um, they work the 12 steps plus five, the plus five relate to your mental health. Um, as long as you are taking medication as prescribed, that's totally fine. They don't discriminate at all. Um, and it's just the best program I've ever come across with regards to recovering if you have a lot of mental health issues. Um, and, yeah, you know, I'm not saying I've not had times where I felt like like 
picking up or you know but uh, I, I just got to keep connection i've just got to keep connected it doesn't even matter it's, it's not even about whether you know i know a lot of people in the fellowships are going oh well if you're not doing meetings at the moment that's why you relapsed no i don't know it's it's different horses for courses it's you know, it's whatever works for the individual. I don't care how you got sober, clean. But you know what? If somebody out there gets sober and clean their own way, fair bloody play to them. You know, because it's the fucking hardest thing in the world. Well, I say it's the hardest thing in the world. Getting clean is the easy bit. Staying clean is the hard bit. Yeah. For me, that's what I found. And... Uh, now I live in the middle of nowhere. Um, never thought I'd live in the middle of nowhere, but I love it. And I feel safe here. And if it's not living in a busy town that helps with my recovery, then I'll quite happily stay here. So, um, yeah, it's um, been a very rocky recovery road. Um, quite the journey. Yeah, I've had one hell of a journey. I mean, there's there's shitloads I've missed out, but um, it kind of seems irrelevant because I think I sort of um, covered what I I really wanted to, which was the um, the reality and the rawness and the depths of despair that you get to in addiction i remember actually ringing my dad three o'clock that morning rocking in the living room on the floor saying dad please help me get me into a rehab because i'm going to die and thank thank you to my dad because he did and i was in the rehab within 24 hours um and i might not have stayed sober but I stayed clean, and finally I've got there with, with the alcohol. Um, and just for, you know, sometimes I feel like the summer's a big trigger for me. Summertime. It's a big trigger for me. But, yeah, alcohol's the one I sh couldn't shake off, and it's it's depressing when you're in a rehab centre and uh, the treatment centre turn around and tell you that, you know what, if you look around the room, only two of you are actually going to survive. <laughs> and you think, what the fuck? Why am I wasting this money then? <laughs> what am I here for? Because it's not going to be me that survives. And I honestly never thought I would get recovery. I honestly never thought I would be able to maintain my recovery. Um, and today I do. And I've got my own little rules and, and rituals that I stick by. Um, my own little, you know, structures for my day. Um, and if it, yeah, wasn't for the, for the dual diagnosis anonymous, then I don't think I'd have ever really found my home with a fellowship. And uh, who knows where that would have led me. But all I know is that um, somebody was looking over me that day in hospital because when I woke up to see all my family there, and I said, what the hell are you doing here? Am I dying? 
and I was. Um, and they said to me, you could just one more drink, just literally one more drink could kill you. And I just looked in my mum's eyes. And just the pain in all their faces. And I was picturing my daughter's face, you know, thinking, look, mum, you've relapsed again. And but I had to do it for me, it had to be done for me, whereas before I'd often tried to do it because I thought it was just what I was supposed to do. So, yeah, it has been a bit of a roller coaster ride for me my whole life. <laughs> but I'm, uh, yeah. So let me I, ask you one last question before yeah. we get going here. Let me ask yeah. you, do you have any advice for people watching and listening? Yeah, Re uh, stay connected, reach out. Please reach out. Reach out to somebody. There is enough, nowadays, there is enough help out there to try and guide you in the right direction. I'm not going to say it's going to be easy because it, it isn't. Uh, you know, I used to think I was a serial relapser, but no, I was a serial fighter because I kept getting up and I kept coming back and I kept coming back. And now I'm not living a world beyond my wildest dreams, but you know what? I'm not living in hell. And that for me is enough. So what I would say to anyone out there, well, do you know what, if what I've said just resonates or hits one person, then everything that I do for myself and others for recovery, it's worth it, you know. Um, and I know that I am always here. If anyone wanted to reach out to me, I've never turned anyone away. And I've had a lot of people reach out to me, especially obviously running a recovery group. So, um, yes, individual circumstances, you know, and do recover. Believe me, because I didn't, th I thought I was going to be dead. I did, I honestly, honestly, from the bottom of my heart, did not think I'd ever be sat here doing this interview. Or anything like this. I was prepared not to make old bones. I was that much of a savage addict. And here I'm sitting three years and two months. It's a long time. It is. And I'm really proud of myself, actually. <laughs> you should be. Yeah, I am. I am. And the nice thing is, is it's taken a long time, but when I'm on my phone to my daughter, she doesn't ask me if I've been drinking anymore. She did for a long time, and she doesn't ask that anymore. And that just feels amazing inside. I can imagine. So, I, I mean, I'm, I've been blessed. I've got a very supportive family, and, and I always have. And I know a lot of people don't have that. So I am very blessed. But um, 
I'm also never going to forget where I come from because yeah. it's a place I won't go back to just for today. Just for today. So just we're, for getting, today. we're getting towards the end. Did you have anything else that you want to add or give uh, our insight um, to our listeners? Do you know what? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, if, if 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 anybody wants to join the Facebook group, they are more than welcome. Um, What's the name of your Facebook group? It's Recovery and Mental Illness. Um, Recovery and Mental Illness. Yeah. Um, we're not that much of a big group. We've only got like 300 or so. We're not the size of uh, Addicts Anonymous or anything like that. Just a little UK-based group, but... We have a lot of people from the States actually on that, but um, yeah, that'd be great. But just all I can say is um, involve yourself as much as you can. I mean, I, I, I'm macrophobic and still I manage to work a program every day. And I know that a lot of people are against the fellowships and that's all right because you know what? There's so many other ways out there that you can get um, clean and sober. And um, that I also advertise on my website. But what I do want to do is give a massive shout out to um, DDA UK and to the Dual Diagnosis Hub um, for giving me a sense of purpose and not feeling, being made to feel like I was still an addict because I was <laughs> unmedicated for um for illnesses um and yes yeah, I, I just found my people found my home and i feel safe there and i feel safe with those people and uh it's a, it's a fantastic fellowship for anyone who suffers with co-occurring disorders of mental illness and addiction yeah Hugs, not drugs. Well, I want to say thank you for coming on the podcast today. I want to say thank you for inviting me. I haven't actually shut up the whole time. Sorry. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much. It's actually been quite therapeutic for me as well. Yeah, I hear that a lot. I know it's good for us addicts to get out and tell our stories a lot. It really does help. Yeah, I feel really quite a little bit lighter. It's weird. Good, so thank Bless you. Thank and the you. work you do as well for other addicts. Thank you. I try my hardest. I just want to help as many people as we can. Same as. And, uh, you know, what you do is amazing. So thank, thank you. you. You're welcome. Do me okay. a favor and hang tight for a minute. And yep. for everybody watching and listening, if you like what you saw and heard, go below and give us a like. Also, subscribe to see when we upload new videos. You can check us out on all social media, such as Twitter, Reddit, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, and Tumblr. I also suggest checking out our website, which is www.addicts-anonymous.com. There you'll find plenty of free resources and literature. So I hope you enjoyed today. That's all we have. And until next time. Thank you.